back. Pulls up for three. Boom! Knocks it down. Curry from the corner at three. Puts it in. For overtime. Makes it. Garrett. One welcome for me, Mark Woods, the latest edition of the MVP cast brought to you in association with Total Environmental Compliance. Check out their consultancy services for a whole range of environmental issues at tecompliance.co.uk. And don't forget, you can subscribe to us across a wide range of podcast platforms and then you will never, ever miss an episode. Now, our guest this time out is one of our best homegrown talents. He's a Great Britain international who's proved he can cut it perfectly well overseas, but now he's back in the BBL, flying high, <laughs> as he always is, Connor Washington. Welcome to the MVP cast. Thank you very much. Good evening. How has... Let, let's start with this very unusual season, which we've just got underway. And I mean, you guys were, were affected by COVID in the pre-season. How, how much chaos has it been in, pract- in practice every day? Uh, to be honest, it hasn't been, other than the setback we had from a couple of people testing positive, it hasn't been that chaotic because we just, I feel like the the whole organisation around the arena, they've been quite, well, they've been very, um, they've been very good at communicate, communicating with us and letting us know all the procedures that need to happen way before we were even allowed to go back in the gym. So we were all quite aware of, you know, what conditions it would be in. And I guess it's just kind of like being in practice as we normally would. Obviously, there's so many changes that's happened, but I feel like it hasn't really spilled over onto into the basketball because everything has just been kept so professional. And it's just like, it's just kind of allowed us to just smoothly get back into playing and training. Obviously, there were stuff we had to adhere to at the beginning, like restriction of numbers or how many people can train at once. And initially, we had to rebound with gloves on and create our own little bubbles before they started allowing more indoor participants to come in and stuff like that. So I don't know, it's been kind of a smooth transition, but obviously we had that hiccup where a couple of people tested positive and then that was like a just a two week or sorry, ten day lockdown and then some people got it during that period again. So it was like some players returned to practice, some didn't. So I guess from that aspect it's been a bit hectic but there's been like a few or like a, a strong core of players who have just been consistent the whole time and I feel like that has kind of allowed us just to keep on building even though we haven't had many 14 practices and we've lost out on at least two weeks worth. I feel like there's been a little a core group who have just kept it going and f- obviously fortunately we haven't um, tested positive. And so yeah, it's been a, it has been a, a big change but yeah, like I say, the organisation has been really good and we've just been able to just kind of smoothly transition into no basketball at all to getting back on the floor again and getting the feel for the game and I guess obviously since March I haven't played or I hadn't played until we were allowed to train again so it did feel quite weird I feel like I'm usually not very out of shape too much but (laughs) it did take a couple of days to get that that game type feeling back but yeah it was just so, no, it's, like you say, it's weird times and yeah, the the whole getting back into playing it has been quite smooth, obviously, minus those hiccups. But yeah, I think I think it's been alright. It hasn't been too drastic. Like does, does I probably it, would, do you think it would like it would be a bit crazy, but 
Do you, I mean, do you think it'll prey on the mind a little bit though? Because we've seen you know, other teams have, have outbreaks so far, and you know, basketball is not a game where social distancing is really possible. I mean, do you do you think people would be wary about it, or is it one of those things as a pro you kind of get used to blocking things out as soon as you cross the line? I don't really know. I guess everybody can have their own take on it, but I'm not personally. I'm not too worried about anything really. Like, like I don't. I wouldn't say like even in our in our camp, like it's not really a case of people worrying about catching it or passing it, or it's just people know that if they have any symptoms, they need to communicate or if they know anybody they've been in contact with, just you know the, the regular stuff. But I'm sure it probably would play on people's minds sometimes, and then they would be cautious in how they move or you know certain activities they want to do that they can't do or they think that maybe they should hold off on doing that because maybe there's an important game coming up and. Most of us have had tests, some of us more than one antibody tests. So I think the overall, um, the overall, I guess, outlook on it now is a bit more relaxed because I think people feel like it's already hit us. So, mm. you know, we dealt with it quite well. So I think that there's been like a positive response to that, even though it was a shame that we had to miss out in two weeks. I mean, coming back to Leicester, it's the spiritual home now, you know, 10 trophies over, over seven seasons. I mean, what's the key thing that keeps luring you back to the morning side of reading? Um, it's hard because sometimes it's not necessarily my initial decision. So <laughs> I initially wanted to go back to Germany. Um, just because I, I I developed a close relationship with the coach and the whole management team over there, the GM was really welcoming and I got really close with the team. And I did want to do a full season there. Obviously, I, I got there in November after being let go from a team in Hungary. And I just, I wanted to do a full season with them, but they just couldn't. And obviously I had a, at that time too, I was due another baby in August. Mm-hmm. So it would have been four of us going back over there and they just couldn't financially um, support me enough for me to move my family out there again. So, um, yeah, so I think the deciding factor to come back to Leicester was me about to have another child. So that was the main, obviously that was my focus on where I wanted to be with my family and making sure everything was set in place. And if we were going to move, the situation had to be legit not saying that it was you know it was anything was shady about it it was just literally the financial side of it it wasn't enough to support all four of us i didn't think so um and obviously without the help of family being close it was just too many options that outweighed going back there so so what my decision ultimately got what what is the routine of a new parent? Because you know there are the nights before a game. You know we know all the research. You need your sleep. I mean, do you do you get to to sleep with earplugs in and and avoid any nighttime duties when the game's the next day? Um, they to be honest, my children sleep really well, <laughs> which is lucky for me. And um, my partner's really like she understands it and. If my son wakes up in the night because he still sleeps in our room, he doesn't sleep in the bed too much, but he's in the next to me crib, next to our bed. So if he wakes up in the night, she usually tends to him, and I tend to our daughter, who's almost two. So she usually sleeps really well, and if she does cry, she'd only just want either her dummy being put back in or 
go in there and give her a teddy to her and then she gets herself back to sleep. So I haven't really been that sleep deprived recently, but when I had my first child, that was a bit mad. Obviously, it's very new. She was my firstborn. So I wanted to do as much. I wanted to be as hands-on as possible because I wanted to help out Lisa. So, you know, we kind of took it in turns a bit. But obviously, you learn from the first one. Um, almost broke my back about eight times just rocking her. <laughs> so many, so many, like, hours early in the morning, but we're not gonna we're not rocking with this this next one we've, we've learned our lesson and we're not gonna do that so it's kind of, it's worked out well but Does... as of lately like i've been getting getting good amount of sleep and i don't know as i've gotten older i say older i'm only 28 but i just feel like i don't need that much sleep i can function on five hours sleep i'm good i can play games on five hours sleep and feel fine which is great <laughs> i wish i could i wish i could do that too but sadly can't uh, there you go um <laughs> With with Rob, Rob Partnerstro. I mean, you know, he he's been your coach, you know, on and off since you were you know pretty new yeah. to this game. D- describe that relationship and you know, how it's changed over the years. Because I'm sure you guys are comparing parenting tips because he you know, he's got you know young kids now as well. You know, how's what's that relationship yeah, yeah. like on and off the court? Um, I feel like it like. Obviously, they knew about me before I came to Leicester. I was at Milton Keynes. I didn't. I played against. Obviously, Milton Keynes played against Leicester in some season games, but they never got to see me at that level. But they knew about me from playing in college in Milton Keynes, and then I went to America for a bit. And then, um, yeah, when I got back, oh sorry, before I actually went to America, there were some clinics that they held in Loughborough that I went to just to play. I think they were they were interested to see if. It was an option for me to come to Loughborough at the time, but I had my set in America, so I wasn't even going to consider an English uni at the beginning. At the in the beginning, so when I actually did come back, um, the relationship between myself and Milton Keynes Lions wasn't really working. So I, I was then going to quit basketball, um, and yeah, that's when Russell and Lance, my my manager slash mentor at the time. I was like, why don't you just go to Leicester? They can house you. They can give you some money and just give it another shot and see how you see how you feel. It's only half the season, so if you want to quit after that, then you can. But at least just give it one more try to see what it's like. So obviously, when I got brought in, there were still players there that I was familiar with, and I just think that um, Rob just gave me the without saying it. I feel like he just gave me permission to just you know find the game again or find my my love for the game or just start to grow within the game um, I feel like he kind of took me under his wing without even necessarily meaning to at the beginning because I don't even know if they thought I was going to be a long term addition to the team I only signed for half a season but after that that's when I decided to study Loughborough and then I had signed a two year contract so I was going to be around for a long time and I guess being a, a homegrown player maybe it was something that they wanted to work on in terms of keeping me around or, you know, trying to develop me to be a strong British player so they wouldn't necessarily have to always look for imports so they would be confident in the point of position knowing that I'm there. So I think over the years it's just been um, we've grown in trust towards each other. Like, he knows my game style, I know his coaching style and I feel like we just vibe with each other. He knows exactly what he's going to get from me. He doesn't necessarily have to tell me too much. Obviously, he 
gives me tips where, where he can and always trying to push me and improve my game and you know trying to make me perform the best I can and he knows I'm gonna I'm gonna give 100% every every time I step on the floor even in practice it doesn't matter to me like he he knows what to expect and I just feel like he he's grown to trust that and he's grown to um, respect that and respect how I play and he knows what he's gonna get and so I just feel like that kind of relationship from basketball is just obviously it's grown and it's extended into a kind of like a it's obviously it's weird to say father son because we don't we don't speak much outside of basketball but I know that he he really cares for me and I know I could go to him if I ever had any issues and I know he'd definitely look out for me so it's kind of like a I guess you could say a, a father son relationship but it's just you know it's obviously professional in basketball but I know he he definitely cares for me away from basketball and I know he would if I needed him he would he would be there in a heartbeat because describe your I mean you talked about almost quitting the game when you come back from Southwest Baptist which is a, a division 2 yeah, school yeah. and yeah. You, know, you went there very long and then you come back and then you're on the <laughs> fence of do I want to still play the game I mean describe the how, what was the impact of that time in America in terms of getting you to a point where actually you think maybe I don't want to play this sport anymore yeah it was just I mean growing up playing basketball and watching it and just becoming so immersed in it the reason I picked up basketball in the first place is because I lost my mum very young and I didn't really didn't have no direction in basketball I just gravitated towards basketball so that was my my escape and it has obviously it's been that for so many years so once that once I actually was learning about basketball, learning how to become professional or learning what the, the best leagues were, what the highest league was. You know, my, my initial goal, obviously I was to aim for the highest, so I wanted to make it to the NBA. And in my mind, one of the ways to do that was to get to the country the NBA's in. So I wanted to go to America no matter what. So when I actually got there, and you, you know, as a, a young kid, I felt like I had achieved part of my dream by getting a scholarship um, to have that taken away because of I guess it could be all different reasons but from my experience it was just a difference in opinion and I just didn't get along with the coach very well and I didn't play that often so when they decided to let me go I literally just felt like dreams had been crushed so from wanting to go to America to only get to spend four months there and to get told I'm being let go it was just like a, a stab in the heart and I just thought after all because it was what I was I went when I was 19 and I started playing when I was 10 so nine years of playing basketball and you know just dedicating my entire existence to it and having my my escape be that from losing my mum and then going to America and getting cut it was just like a one of the biggest blows so I just thought is this really even worth it because now I just think how am I going to make it to the league if I'm not in America and I don't know obviously there could have been other avenues but I just feel like that's all I was thinking about and that's all I was like surrounded by back then was you need to go to America if you want to make it to the league so that's what that's what my goal was so when I actually got cut it was just like this can't this, this can't be it so I was just like I don't want to I don't. I don't. I don't think I was brave enough to face that type of failure again. 
And I almost didn't come home. I almost transferred because I was afraid of people finding out that I've been cut and then they would also think that I failed, which would be even more of a, I guess, a weight to carry. And I think at 19 years old, whether I want to admit it or not, I do, I was like cautious of what people thought. So I'm having me thinking I'm failed and also having other people think that. I think that was just like a a massive weight that I didn't want to admit to. So when I when I actually did come back, I didn't want to transfer to a school because that was just no disrespect to the school, but it wouldn't have pushed me to become a great player. I wouldn't want to go to a team where I'm the best player because I wanted to improve and be pushed, and that was the situation I was going into. So I just decided maybe it's just best if I come home and then just see how I feel and evaluate from there and when I did come home I didn't have the urge to do anything to do with basketball just because I felt like my dreams had been crushed so that's when when people first asked me what I was going to do I had already made it in my mind that I wasn't going to play anymore so I was telling people I'm not playing anymore which is why um, Lance and Russell were on my case quite a bit because they were just trying to encourage me to give it another try and just see how see if I could ever get the feel back for it again or get the love back but I initially said I'm not playing anymore and I wasn't sure which direction I was going to go but it wasn't basketball at that time Is that maybe one of the the areas where we as you know in the sport needs to be better with that sort of aftercare almost for our young players because you know it's not this is a familiar story in the sense of player leaves this country player doesn't get maybe the right advice or support before they leave, player is away, doesn't get the the, the backing or the, the guidance that they require or would like from this country. I mean, is there a deficit there that was, that's there today that was still, you know, was there when you were coming through? Uh, I, to, me, to me, from what it seems like today, it seems like there is a bit more understanding and awareness of what is going on like I don't I didn't have anybody to speak to and I didn't have anybody to explain to me not maybe not that I didn't have anybody but my I didn't have those connections at the time so maybe there were people who could have told me what America was like people before me but I didn't I wasn't making those connections and I didn't have anybody to ask how it was so it was just me being a young kid excited to go to America um, for like my, half my dream had been met when I found out I did get a scholarship and then go to America and happen to experience it all brand new and get, get used to it and quite fast paced and then to not have anybody out there to guide me or you know to go to if I needed advice and then to come back and also still not have anybody to speak to about it because a lot of people obviously they know that I got let go from America but they don't know what happened and they don't know necessarily what I felt like or the reason behind me wanting to quit and the reason behind me going to America in the first place obviously it's not something I talk about openly it's not just it's not because I don't want to it's just because uh, the, the conversations don't really come up that much, that often and it's kind of blinded by what I've done since I since I started again in Leicester mm. so I do I do feel like today there seems like there's more awareness I doesn't assume that there is but to me it just um, you know people being able to f- find a t- find a highlight clip from somebody's game 
in an instant. It's like word is getting out more and people are more aware of who's going where and when they come back. Like you just you find out so much information in like ten seconds. Especially if you're like a, a big name or if you if you leave the country and you're British, people usually know where you're going. And they aren't they know when they know when you come back or they know if you've been released. You know, I don't really know well, nobody messaged me when I got let go from America because it wasn't announced. It was like a, almost like a secret because the coach didn't want me to, you know, say anything. He just said, if you don't want to, if you don't want to have your chances of coming back to America tarnished, then just leave all your gear in the locker. Don't say anything to anybody and just leave respectfully. And, you know, it wasn't worth risking anything like that to me. So I just thought, if I want a chance to come back, if I do then I just have to do what it is and I, I did that. It seems an appalling level of care. Sorry, say that again? It seems an appalling level of care in their behalf. Yeah, it just and I wasn't I wasn't doing anything wrong. I just think maybe he didn't like my playstyle or just something about me he wasn't interested in. But yeah, it just but he, he let go six players from our team. I was the last person to get let go. So it just seemed like loads of us were getting cut, which was strange. And it was just, it all happened so quick, just from August to December. And like the day before Christmas break, I was brought into the office and told I was being let go. And I broke down there on the spot in his office and was basically begging for them to not let me go. But... They just wanted to go in a different direction and I didn't really understand why and I still don't to this day because and the reasons for the reasons that they sent to my new uh, my previous head coach of Milton College or Bletchley College um, it just didn't seem it didn't sound like Connor so whoever knew me if you read that email it sounds like something completely different and it just to Mike he didn't understand why the coach was saying those things that didn't sound like me. So he thought I must have been doing something wrong out there. Which everybody has their own opinion. I mean, I can't make somebody believe me, but that's why the, also the relationship from between me and McKean kind of went um, a bit sour because the coach gave false information of what exactly went on in America. And... I guess Mike chose to believe that email over me. Hmm. I mean, if it actually, even still today, we haven't actually sat down and spoke about what happened. He just has taken that email at face value and then didn't really listen to what I said. And obviously, I'm still a young boy, so it's like I'm dealing with that trauma as well as trying to understand and put it all in perspective of what's going on. And then thinking about the majority of my life, I've been trying to train to get to this point and it's only lasted four months and now I'm let go I'm just strung out and left left on my own and no one's there to like talk to no one really understands what went on it's just like I was just exposable at what point coming out of that do you I guess flip the switch from perhaps you know a feeling that this is not the sport for you that this is a sport that's let you down to perhaps using that as fuel once you reach Leicester to go, hey, I'm pretty good at this. I'm a great character. 
I can do this. You got, you got me completely wrong. I mean, is is there anything in there psychologically that then was to your advantage? Um, yeah, I definitely think so. When I when I came to Leicester, I still had some friends here. Um, oh, sorry, people I knew, and then some of them were close friends. But then we we became really close. So I just felt like it was a a nice sort of welcoming because. I was going into a place that was already familiar, so I didn't have to worry about, you know, trying to fit in again or starting from scratch and being brand new faces. They were kind of familiar, and I knew Rob a little bit. He knew me. I'd worked out in front of him before, and he'd seen with Neil Keane. So it was just like a... I guess I, to be honest, I don't really remember that six months. I just know I didn't play... I didn't play like my usual self, but I played more than I thought I would. Like coming in um, halfway through the season, I didn't think I was going to play at all. But some games I did play, which was surprising. And I just, I guess that summer, it was kind of an insight to what could be. And I guess seeing seeing the guys on my team who were studying at the time, they would go to practice and they would talk about their lessons and what they were studying and different types of exams and just that whole feel again of playing and studying at the same time and I think that was kind of like still interesting to me and it was still I guess still in my heart what I wanted to do even though the situation in America happened the way it did I don't think it broke my spirit of loving basketball so even though like I was heartbroken from being let go from America obviously there was something still in me that was just pulling me towards staying in the game for a bit, and I am so fortunate of, for going to let to going to Leicester to, to try all my time. If I didn't, then I can almost guarantee I would not be a basketball player today. If you weren't a basketball player, and I use I use this as a blatant segue, would you have ended yeah. up as a music producer? I don't think so either because. <laughs> That that was I've always been around music and it started from when I was young. Both my mum and dad are very musical. Um but my actual flame was lit when I met Trayvon Wright. So I'd loved music before, loved everything about it. I just was like it's a it was a weird feeling. It's like you're in the music field but there's just a black spot over producer or making your own music. I think it's just because I don't know why I hadn't even thought about it. It's just because I was never even introduced to it. I'd never met anybody who made their own music yet until I met Trayvon. And then when he told me he he does, I was like, what do you mean? Like, how? And show me. So then, yeah, once he showed me that, it was it was over. And then obviously, it's just a program on a laptop where you you can load instruments or load, load sounds to a specific key or a specific note on the on the page and then on the screen and you can just fill in blocks and it will the metronome goes across and it will just play the play the sounds as you input them into the grid and that's literally what it is. And after that I just the flame was lit for loving music and being around it so much to then switch into actually wanting to make my own and not necessarily just listening to pleasure anymore it was more like a passion that just kind of 
was brewing, I guess, for a long time. It just was visible once I met Trayvon, which is strange. <laughs> I mean, you said about growing up with your, your mum and dad, both being musical. What what was the influence of growing up? What were, you, what were they putting through your earbuds when you were a kid that, you know, made you think, you know, this, this is a joyous part of my life here? <laughs> I think as well, because I have so many memories or I want to remember as much of my mum that I can, a lot of memories are tied to music. So a lot of music has that include her in it so it's like there's a lot of garage a lo- lo- the most memories I have is her playing the organ we had an organ in our house and she would be playing the organ all the time so I would just walk into the dining room and she'd be on the organ just playing keys so that was one of my, my fondest memories of her and my dad would always be playing reggae he liked jungle garage as well so it's like that that whole kind of genre that I was bouncing in between reggae, garage, jungle, and then my mum on the organ. So it was just like, I couldn't even escape music if I wanted it to. It's not like one of those households where it's just it's loud all the time. Because sometimes, some, I feel like sometimes we're going to now, there's no, there's no even any speakers that you would play music on. So if you, just, if you used to play music, you'd be out the TV where the bass isn't that great or out your phone or out of the iPad. It's just, that's strange to me to grow up in a household or to grow up in a, uh, a living space or environment with no music it's just it doesn't make sense to me obviously that's my that's my lived experience so I I'm comfortable with that and um, yeah I think it's just that stemmed over to me because in school I took piano lessons and I think I only took them not necessarily being interested in playing piano but I only took them because my mum played the organ so I guess it's, it was like a way of me trying to be close to her by doing something that she loved because she played all the time and now I play piano so I guess it rolls over like that I mean there, there's there's a few clips of yours floating around the, the nether regions of, of the dark web but you know to describe to folks who you haven't heard it what's what's the Connor Washington genre that we would find if you we find you playing away on your, your keyboard and your laptop Oh, I don't even know. It's so there's so many like genres and subgenres and what's this and what's that. It just I feel like it cross it's a cross between soul, hip hop, funk, a little bit of electronic and yeah, some some pop. Yeah, just those kinda of, it's kinda of like just multi multiverse in those genres, I would say. It's hard to put it into one bracket or to one bubble is kind of like intertwined into different ones and it depends also who who I'm working with so I've recently developed a relationship with this artist called Rio and we literally had our well our first song we did together was played on the radio yesterday in Sussex mm. so that was pretty cool um, yeah that was like a what would I call that song that was maybe a um, say maybe soul slash hip hop that song was a bit so yeah that was a, that was my first first radio play which happened yesterday which was nice to have and did you know it was coming were you tuning, tuning in waiting yeah, yeah, for yeah. it to come on nice yeah we knew it was coming so she she emailed or she was in contact with somebody at the radio she sent them a bunch of songs and they picked that one the one that we did together which was nice too so yeah she I couldn't listen to it I could, well, I could, but it was at a time where 
I was being run riot by the kids, so I couldn't actually <laughs> tune in and probably watch. But <laughs> she took some videos and she was playing it in her house, um, yeah, singing along to it, and then having the the radio host talk about it afterwards was really cool. And do you and Trayvon still make music at distance together, or is he still yeah, an influence? Do. Yeah, we do. We need to we do need to get a studio session together because we have this habit of once we get together because it's been it's usually been a long time we just play each other's music for each other and just listen to each other's music for like three hours and by that time we don't have any time left to like actually make our own so when he was when we were down here together we did go to um, the studio a lot and yeah just try and just get a little vibe going and then see what comes out of it we just don't ever it just seems like we don't ever have enough time and it's hard to work on music well I feel like it's hard to produce with another producer from afar like instead of being in the same space and because then you miss those like those what do you call it like those um, spontaneous you know ideas that you can quickly just like relate to each other and say oh no put this in there I like the sound of that or you know that just gets missed so it's like I'm creating a song or creating a a kind of idea I send it to him he listens to it he sends me his idea we try and blend the ideas together and sometimes it doesn't work so I usually would prefer to just if he likes one of my songs he puts vocals on it he can rap or sing on it and then I'll just audio engineer that afterwards because it's just easier that way until we can get time where we can spend a lot of time together and then actually go through the process properly of making a song getting ideas down and just going about it in a much more concise way, I guess. But now we do, we're still really close. Um, we speak almost every day. And yeah, just I'm longing for the time when we can just be in the studio for quite a long time and not have to worry about stuff. <laughs> That'll be hard. I mean, we always say you can never have too many strings to your boat, but you know, basketball player, music, muso, music producer. And for the second edition of this podcast in a row, we have a model on the sh- on on the show, following Leo in the yeah. footsteps of Kofi Joseph. Tell me about this new modelling career because we've seen I've seen some photos online. Is this a new thing, or have you been quietly catwalking away without us noticing for a while? <laughs> it is definitely a new thing. Um, I just I don't know what it was. I just I don't even know why or what because I I think in my own mature immature mind sometimes like when you think of model or when I thought of model before it would just be people who look like they've been sculpted by Zeus or whatever you know just the general stereotypical view of model that isn't true but there's all types of models so one day I just thought because I see some some other people modeling like Jesse Jesse Chuku used to play here for a bit he was modeling um, my close friend Kevin Moore he was modeling and I just thought I mean, like, I'm sure they earn money from modeling, so let me just see if, <laughs> let me just try my luck. So I just literally messaged the modeling agency and just said, it's a shot in the dark, but um, I've played basketball, never done modeling before, and I'm just wondering if you are looking for a model that looks like me or if you're looking for a model who plays basketball or a sports model or whatever it is. And to my surprise, they just said, yeah, we'd love to have you. And I was just like, wow is that easy but obviously I don't know what it was exactly that they said yes to but 
yeah, I literally just reached out and I got a positive response back. They said they would love to they would love to have me as a sports model. Um, yeah, I went for a few test shoots in Brighton. That's with the the colourful background. That's on my Instagram. I'm doing like a few aerial tricks, like jumping with the ball between my legs or jumping like action shots. Um, yeah, that was my first my first test shoot because I haven't even I don't even have a portfolio or any like previous. Um, images for anybody to look at. So if somebody wanted me to, somebody wanted to shoot me for, I don't know, an advert or something, they had, did I have anything to look at? So that's what these test shoots are for, to build up your portfolio. And I've only had one, so there's not many, um, there's not many photos that are like versatile. They're all just similar from that one. And then lockdown hit, so it's like, it slows down quite a bit. Christ- no, I, Christmas, yeah, Christmas, twenty twenty one. You'll, you know, you'll be on a campaign somewhere. Yeah, I, I hope so. <laughs> Man at H and M. It definitely is new to me. I'm not <laughs> nowhere near my best in the model world, but I feel like just from being around it or being introduced to it, it's obviously you kind of gain an understanding of what it actually means to be a model, and it's not what. Well, most things aren't the stereotypical view of what they appear to be anyway, but it was just another eye-opening experience for me because I never really thought I would, you know, be, not necessarily be a model, but I didn't think that it'd be anything that I would be going towards on my path of basketball and music. So it's just, I guess it's another, like you said, another string to add to the boat. But it is fun. I mean, you meet a lot of, a lot of good people and yeah, it's just literally, you can make it whatever you whatever you want it to be. There's some, I guess, some cast that you need to do certain actions, certain things from you, and obviously to promote their products or you know, whatever they need it for, for marketing-wise. And then, yeah, I guess it's, it's similar to basketball in the way that you have an agency that works for you, and they would uh, put your, your profile out to potential clients, and then if the client likes you, they choose you. And then, yeah, you get paid for them to take pictures of you and stuff like that, all the good stuff. Well, it's called a nappy fund. That's what it is. These little side jobs, they pay for a lot of nappies. <laughs> These things are important. And I need a lot of nappies. <laughs> yeah. um, we're just a couple of weeks away for the next international window. Let's, let's talk GB. I mean, you, you were a very, well, it's not very, but you, you're a relatively late bloomer in terms of making your debut at the age of 26 I mean how how much do you enjoy having this other basketballing avenue to, to kind of strut your stuff in the international stage uh, I love it you know I was never really I, I don't want to say considered maybe I was considered but I wasn't I wasn't given a chance in my earlier days which maybe I thought I should have been because that was I think when I was making a lot of noise but you know for whatever reason um, other players were chosen and you know the coaching staff have every right to choose who they want and I just think maybe it wasn't even my time then you know I got I got my debut when it happened and in hindsight it couldn't really have happened at a better time I just felt like it just all kind of fell into place and then I feel like I have developed a lot more too and in my you know my approach to the game and just the maturity in my my game physically, so I think that it was all just perfect timing. So it's 
obviously an honour for everybody who plays the sport they love to represent their country doing it and I feel like I've kind of you know solidified my name in that field even if they don't choose to ever use me again I feel like what I've done for GB and what I've done during my, my times there have been moments that I can be proud of it's, it's moments that my family can be proud of and when my children grow up to see it they can be proud of so for me I've already won in that sense like if they don't choose to take me again or use me again for any windows or anything, I don't. There's no hard feelings anyway because I am very content with what I've done with GB. On the presum- and I know that obviously there's so many gone. Sorry. As I was going to say, on the presumption that they're not quite done with yet, I'm pretty sure they won't be. I mean, how do you feel about this concept of the bubble? You know, GB due to play France and Montenegro in in Pau in the south of France in, you know, in a couple of weeks, and obviously it's. These are strange times, unprecedented times, and the plan is that the teams will all report inside a bubble, not leave the bubble for a week or so. But you know, you're heading overseas at a time when we're not in the general populace supposed to travel. I mean, it, it, is it is it something you think? Yeah, take it. That's that's the price of playing international basketball, or or is, does it feel like, ooh, crikey, this is this is something new, and you know, maybe with a little bit of risk to it. Um, I'm, I don't think there's anything that worries me about it. I know it's a time of, I guess you could say, crisis, but um, no, I'm not. I'm not worried about it. And I know that with the GB stuff, we'd be travelling anyway. It's just, just, I guess, in this bubble environment, it's going to be a lot different. But we're there to play basketball, so I don't think I can't be going to town thinking I'm going on vacation anyway because it's, it's a business trip essentially. So. Yeah, I guess they would do everything they can to make the bubble as, I guess, friendly as possible. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's just it's basketball, and we need to go there to win games. So I don't think anybody else is going there with a, another mentality other than trying to beat France and Montenegro. And yeah, I just think if it was, it's a shame we lost our home advantage too, because you know it, it would have been nice to play in front of a crowd again. Feels like we haven't. Feels like we're not going to be able to do that for ages. But no, I'm not. I'm not worried about anything. And I think if if there was anything to be worried about, then I don't think we'd be going. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not. I'm not worried about anything. I just hope I get selected to go. I think you'll be fine. I think you'll be fine. I have confidence in you. Um, nothing, <laughs> Lester. You're a couple. Yeah, a couple of weeks in. Um, how are you guys feeling? I think, yeah, we're feeling great. Um, obviously, unfortunate loss on... Uh, when was it? I didn't even play it. Sunday? Yeah, Sunday. Mm. Uh, but no, our mood's, been, our mood's been fine. We usually are able to pick ourselves up pretty quickly after a loss. You know, we, we don't really waste too much time with our heads down. We just try and get into the film room, watch the game back and look at what we did, see where we can improve. And I feel like we are we are definitely ready for, for tomorrow's game. And it's gonna be definitely gonna be a battle again. But no, I think everybody everybody feels good. The chemistry is definitely built more this week, I feel like. Um it's past that stage of people trying to show off what they can do and it's now more about gelling together and playing as a team, um, playing as a unit and trying to win instead of, you know, certain players trying to drop this amount of points and do individual things you know we can't 
like with the basketball game by yourself. So I feel like I've felt that shift in dynamic where we are now starting to gel together as a team and we understand that we're going to need each and every one of us if we want to win or be successful, especially against a team like Newcastle, which always seem to gel in a weird way when, you know, they have, sometimes they have quite big changes, but, you know, they just seem to hit the ground running. And, yeah, I'm, I'm confident in tomorrow's game and I feel like it's going to be a game where we can prove exactly who we can be in this league. And, yeah, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. I love playing Newcastle. Do you think this season, I mean, coming back again, I mean, is there a... Is there a more of a leadership role now that you're you've probably edged up into what we would call veteran stage? Yeah, I I call myself veteran anyway. But <laughs> in, my, in my own talks, but no, yeah, I definitely think so. Um, obviously, there's no there's no one way to be a leader, so I just I just take it upon myself to just try and be that that voice of reason or voice of you know encouragement whenever we needed to. And I've been around before so many years so even though there's players who are coming in who have essentially played at higher levels than me they can still you know they can still be led um, or they can still be put on to how Rob expects things to be done you know if they ever have issues if they ever have problems or issues or questions then they can come to me as someone else who's like a an extension of Rob and I feel like over the years I've been building that even more and that's what Rob expects me to he wants me to be a leader even though I come off the bench, um, you know, leaders don't always start games, they don't always finish games, they just, you are the leader if you want to be, and you can lead in so many different ways, you don't have to lead by scoring so many points or whatever, you can lead in your own way, and that's, that's what's, that's why I could be so effective, because if I choose my own ways of being a leader, then, you know, no one can stop me from being a leader. Well, obviously leaders get to choose the music pre-game as well, and you're highly qualified to do that. Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> I have to put my thumbs in there. I'll just plug that a little bit. Oh yes, why not? You're privileged. Anyway, we we thank you so much for joining us. Um, continued success in this strange season with Leicester, and I'm sure GB. And um, best of luck with more of those nighttime feeds. Yes, thank you very much. And yeah, keep tuned for some more music coming out. I'm gonna. I'm guilty for not putting putting any music out. I don't know why. There's just so much music I've been just sitting on my laptop for years and I just haven't released or finished songs but that's going to change because I'm just going to do it lullabies ain't nothing to it but to do it so I'm just going to be releasing and working with different artists and just trying to improve my craft and it's a passion of mine so I'm just trying to share it with the world oh, connect with whoever connects with it and yeah we look forward to it check him out on Twitter you'll find it all there I'm sure Connor Washington thanks for joining us on the MVP cast thank you that is it for this edition, brought to you with our sponsors at Total Environmental Compliance. Find them on Google or give them a follow on social at T Compliance Limited. You can, of course, get all our previous editions at MVP247.com or subscribe via your favourite podcast provider. Or if you want to get in touch, reach out to me on Twitter at Mark Brickle. Another edition of the MVP cast coming very soon. But for me, Mark Woods, thanks for listening. 